Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Mark Fraley Podcast. This is our 105th episode. Today is Friday, December 8th, 2023, a sunny and mild day here in Nashville, a great day to get outside for a hike in the woods, or even to play pickleball if you are so inclined. As always, thanks to Ronnie Trammell for our hipster intro music. Much appreciated. As we get started today, I wanted to give a shout out to my parks and recreation friends across Tennessee. If you have a program, personal or event you would like to see featured on the podcast, please drop me a line and let's talk. This shout, also, shout out also goes to conservation organizations across the state. Don't be shy. I want to hear from, from you about what you're doing. And if I can, share it with others. In this podcast, I, I strive to introduce you to fine people, personalities, and leaders involved in parks and recreation and conservation, and if I can, get them to share a little about themselves and let you get some insight into what goes on behind the scenes, so to speak. On today's program, my guest is Aaron Browning. Aaron is the Deputy Director of Parks and Recreation for the City of Knoxville. And he has recently been sworn in as president of the Tennessee Recreation and Parks Association. Aaron and I talk about his objectives for his year as president, striving to have an organization which is up to date and responsive to its membership. We also take the opportunity to hear from Aaron about what is going on with parks and recreation in Knoxville and the wonderful improvements they are making with the cooperation of many supporting not-for-profit organizations. It was great fun to talk with Aaron, and I hope you'll enjoy our conversation. And we will get started right after this brief message. Hi, this is Heather Lose, Editor-in-Chief of the Tennessee Conservationist Magazine. Every year, we publish six beautiful issues packed full of timely and informative stories about Tennessee culture, people, and places. You can stay informed about your world and all the great things happening in your Tennessee state parks. It's easy to subscribe. Just go to our website at tnconservationist.org. Thank you. Aaron Browning, welcome to the Mark Fraley Podcast. Thanks for having me. Aaron, it's great to see you, and um, con congratulations um, on your recent installment as as the president of the Tennessee Recreation and Parks Association, um, that's a, that's a big deal. Yeah, it's uh, something that a few years ago I never thought I would, um, probably never thought I would be interested in, but uh, things changed. So, uh, well, I want to hear all about about what's going on in TRPA, uh, and also uh, what's going on in Knoxville Parks and Recreation. And for my audience, uh, you're the deputy director of the. Knoxville Parks and Recreation Agency, is that right? Yes, sir. And how long have you been in that in that position? Uh, I moved to Knoxville in um, summer of 2012. I started with Parks and Recreation here in um, September of 2012. Um, and as we get into more TRPA stuff, my first day on the job, I was dropped off at the TRPA conference. Um, and um, then uh, I was promoted to deputy director. I was athletics coordinator and then promoted to deputy director, I think it was um, uh, 
uh, spring of 2016. Okay. Well, congratulations on that. That's that's terrific. Um, as we get started in, in uh, our conversations, and of course this podcast focuses on the people who are involved in parks and recreation and conservation and related fields such as that, um, I always like to ask uh, the, um, the witness, so to speak, uh, what, what is the reason that you got involved in parks and recreation? Was there, as a career, uh, there, was there something in your, in your experience as a child or growing up that, that uh, pushed you in that direction? Yeah, so thanks for asking that. Um, I've asked myself that question many times. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I grew up in southeast Kentucky, a really small town called Harlan. Uh, Harlan. A show called Justified. That was where it was based out of, not not necessarily filmed. Um, and so I grew up, you know, I played Little League baseball. I played tennis at the community, um, at the high school slash park courts. Um, so I kind of grew up at a park, uh, basically. My, my parents lived... I guess it was probably, I don't know, less than 50 yards from the baseball fields and I could ride my bike to the tennis courts. Um, and so, it, you know, it was just something that was just kind of ingrained in me in an early, early time in my life. Um, so after that, I, I played um, a lot of tennis tournaments, but mostly, you know, in the local kind of um, mountain area of, of Kentucky and then went to um, college in Georgetown, Kentucky and um, played tennis there. And so I've always kind of had that you know, small town, you know, know everybody, social field versus, right. you know, this, you know, travel a lot and kind of the, you know, the travel sports aspect that we see right. a lot today. And so um, out of grad school, I started working for the USTA in the Kentucky office. And so I was promoting one. So the United States Tennis Association. Yeah. So okay. I, I started there. Um, and so I was promoting one sport across the entire state, whether it be junior tournaments or, or adult tournaments and later junior team tennis, which is like, you know, the rec baseball league of, of tennis. And so, you know, very park oriented. So I worked with a lot of different parks and rec people um, in that capacity. And so, uh, and and I had varying levels of um, <laughs> confidence and satisfaction with working with some of those. And like the people were great, but then it was, you know, if it was, you know, they had to request funding or they had to go through a process. It was always, you know, I was getting different, different stories and different situations. So it's kind of the outside view of what, you know, working for the government we see can take longer than some people think could ever be possible. Um, and so uh, in 2012, my wife, um, she was uh, in school to get her doctorate in school psychology, and we had made the decision that she was going to go through this program, which is kind of like a med school matching program. Um, so she interviewed in uh, Knoxville, New Orleans, and Dallas, and that was her priority order. Um, so in February of 2012, we got an email that said, you're moving to Knoxville. Um, and so I left a job where I was very happy, very successful, had great contacts um, into the great unknown of, of Knoxville. Now, I, you know, I grew up in East, Eastern Kentucky and actually as a Tennessee fan. So right. we had come to a lot of football games. We'd been to many basketball games. Um, and so, you know, I was pumped. I actually literally jumped on the bed um, that, that it was Knoxville and not one of the other two. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I left a job that I'd been in from the end of college you know, for over five years until then. And so it was, it was the unknown of, you know, like I knew where the football field was, but for anybody who's familiar with Knoxville, like we parked at Locust Street Garage and walked towards Neyland. I didn't know where Market Square was and it's a block and a half the other way. <laughs> so, right, right. Um, you know, I didn't know a lot about Knoxville other than, you know, popping into town, you know, the malls, the tennis courts, the, um, you know, the football field. So, 
Um, we got to Knoxville, we moved at the end of July, and then a couple days later, the position for athletics coordinator um, deadline. So I had to, uh, like, I found it and then had to apply within a couple days. And then um, thankfully, um, Joe Walsh, who was the director of, of our department at the time, um, I had a couple interviews, I got started. And so my first day in Parks and Rec was, uh, we were hosting the 2012 TRPA conference. Fantastic. Well, that's that's a great story. I wanted to, um, you know, you and I share a little bit of a background in tennis. I, uh, not, not to the extent that you um, have been involved, but uh, I grew up playing tennis and I'm familiar with all those programs. And um, I was curious about your, your playing tennis at Georgetown. Um, my wife and I travel from Cincinnati to, uh, from Nashville to Cincinnati frequently, and we always stop in Georgetown. That's really our favorite little place along the way. Um, what was what was college like there? Well, coming from a small town, like so, uh, my high school was 220 students. So I graduated with about 55 people, which blows people's minds. Um, so college in Georgetown to me was different than somebody who comes from you know like a normal sized high school. So. Right. Yeah, I went from 220 students to, you know, over a thousand. So let's say 1200. Right. So, um, you know, it was, it was a small town. It was growing. Um, the Toyota plan, obviously, you know, sparked some of that growth. The college was growing. Um, for me, it was a great transition because I felt comfortable. I felt challenged, but also wasn't overwhelmed. Like I always felt like if I went to a big, you know, state school, like, you know, Tennessee or Kentucky, that the idea of 300 people in one classroom just blew my mind. Right. Um, and so I really, I went, um, you know, initially I thought I, I was interested in like physical therapy or something kind of more, um, you know, in that area. And so I think my experience with um, the tennis team there, we did fundraisers in the athletics department. So we did, we basically managed the ticket sales for football and basketball there um, and did some other aspects in the athletic department to raise money. For I our see. Team. So I kind of got that feel of, you know, athletics management and being, you know, around recreation and things like that. And then right. from a leadership side, um, I joined a fraternity when I started college, I didn't even really know what that meant. Um, and so I kind of just, you know, nudged myself or was nudged in that direction. And, and then I was president for two years there and I learned a lot about, you know, just leadership skills of, you know, running meetings and budgets and um, inspiring others to get out of bed and go do community service, <laughs> you know, right. all those things. And so I, I really found myself in those years and, it, you know, just getting out of my comfort zone of, of the mountains of Eastern Kentucky to that was, was a positive experience. So you went on to graduate school, am I correct to say Eastern Kentucky or Eastern Tennessee? Yes. Eastern e Kentucky Eastern. University. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So there it was, um, it was sports management, but the, the official title was physical education and sports management was okay. under Got it. Um, and so that was an interesting year. I did most of our class. Some couple days were during the day. Some were at night. So I still had my hand, and I was like, I don't know. Uh, the the head coach at Georgetown at the time would say I was assistant coach. I would say I was the guy who drove the bus and and you know hung out with the team still. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I got to stay involved in that and and you know go from you know teammate to somewhat of an assistant coach. Um, right status and so that was interesting too of, of you know dealing with college kids in a different way well you got to experience college athletics and that's you know th that's sort of a rare thing i guess what georgetown was naia is that mm -hmm. yeah, yeah they're still NAIA. yeah yeah so did your hometown in in harlan actually have a recreation and parks department 
I don't know. Um, well, that's okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, so, uh, and I still don't know that answer for sure. My guess would be that it's managed through the public works department. Right. Um, they have, um, so there's one, one park, um, that just is actually not even like commonly known as a park. It's commonly known as the blue courts because it's right next to the, it's between the highway and, um, where the Cumberland river starts. It's one of the forks. And so it's just a little, like very, uh, linear park. And so there's tennis courts, a playground, and then a basketball court. Right. And so the basketball court was painted blue, so it's called the blue courts. Uh, <laughs> you know, I asked that question because, you know, Harlan, Kentucky um, is comparable to a lot of small Tennessee cities, uh, especially up in East Tennessee. It, it would be comparable to, to uh, Newport or one of those little towns up, up in the mountains of East Tennessee. And, and one of the problems that has been out there for years in, in parks and recreation in Tennessee is the lack of, of departments in some of these small towns. Um, th that's something you're aware of, I'm certain. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, in some of those small towns where it's, you know, one, two, three, you know, a handful of staff of, you know, NTRPA trying to get those people connected. Uh, you know, I know there's been statewide programs that have, have helped in some ways over the past years, but, you know, I, I definitely understand the small town small town life. Right. Well, you know, it's it's back in 1979, the Parks and Recreation Technical Advisory Service was established uh, in part to deal with that problem. And they've had some success, certainly. Um, so t let's talk about about TRPA and, and your experience. And, you know, you talk about going your first experience and uh, on the job was it to attend a meeting. Uh, I, I take it you uh, you got yourself involved in committee work and such as such as that in TRPA. Yeah, so that, that you know that first day in September of 2012, I think I went to orientation and then uh, somebody in the athletics office was like, "Hey, uh, you're signed up as a room host." Let us. They literally took me to the hotel and dropped me off. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I was left to fend for myself. And uh, funny story about that: we, um, the city of Knoxville, Knox County, and Farragut, we all got. Um, like kind of like a Tennessee orange polo shirt. So, you know, I realized, you know, I should partner up with the people in the Tennessee orange shirt. Nobody told me that it was also Knox County and Farragut. So I didn't know who worked where. Uh, so they were co-hosting the meeting with the city. Yeah. 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 And so um, I was like, you know, talking to like, Hey, what do you do? And then they're like, I work here. And I was like, you're not with us. So um, it was a really confusing couple of days. Um, but I met some people and I still, you know, remember those people that I met that first you know, week on the job, which is really cool. Um, so from there, um, with, with TRPA, you know, there were between 2012 and 2017, I probably went to, you know, half of the conferences or so and, you know, more to show up and, you know, I don't know, do what I'm supposed to do. And then uh, in 2017, I learned that um, we were going to host the 2018 conference. So then um, I was, I guess I was transitioning to my deputy director position. And so I was, uh, as like people like to say, it, I was told, I was uh, told that I was going to be like the local host, and, like be, you know, extremely involved over the next year. So like, oh, well, I need to go to this conference. I think it was in Memphis the year before and really learn and like, you know, look at things differently than just, right. you know, you know, pop into a room and listen. Um, and so that's when I got really involved in TRPA and, and uh, you know, so from like, you know, being involved in the conference in 18 and then I think 19, I was the awards chair. Um, 
And one thing that year that I, I enjoyed doing was, you know, some years we would just announce who the winner was. And so that year we made a PowerPoint with pictures and details about all the nominees um, because, you know, I remember that year there was a, one of the nominees was like farm bucks. And it's like, well, what is that? Um, and so without pictures and extra detail, you know, somebody would just read it and be like, you know, they either won or they didn't. And so we added that and that's something that's continued most years since then. Um, and then in 2020, I served as the publications chair, which was a really interesting time to be helping with magazines when everything was closed down. Oh um, yeah, well, that during the during the COVID period, right? Yeah, uh, and then I got involved in TRPF, and um, we had a lot of really. I'm not allowed to be on their board now, but as the TRPA president and last year's president elect, I still attend their meetings, and you know, so we. Um, you know, we raised a lot of money. We, you know, helped support the um, TRPA had the um, 21 by 21 initiative for the CPRP um, certifications. And so I bet just last year, TRPF um, sponsored, I think it was 24 scholarships. Um, and so the, you know, the goal of 21 by 21, we've probably given scholarships to, I'm going to guess over 50 or 60 people for that. Well, for our listeners that might not be acquainted with, with uh, T. TRPEF, Tennessee Parks and Recreation Educational Foundation. Um, what what is what is that, and why is that? What what why does that exist? Yeah, it's the um, I think it's twenty five or thirty five years old, and it's it's kind of a fundraising aspect of of the you know recreation and parks um, profession. And so, the way I understand it, if if you know TRPA based on their five hundred one c three whatever the status is, they have certain limitations on fundraising and using funds. And so I think it was probably created, you know, so that there could be auctions and fundraising and right. kind of a, you know, that, that financial arm of it. So, right. um, TRPA, so, so if you make a donation to the educational foundation, uh, that, that, um, donation is tax deductible. Correct. And I right. think if it was TRPA, it would not be. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, uh, and so with that, you know, one thing, um, we, well, I guess two two things. So one, um, and I think two years ago, um, we worked with TRPA and, um, you know, so now if somebody joins TRPA, they also join TRPEF unless mm -hmm. they opt out. Right. It used to be that you had to opt in. So it would be like, hey, join TRPA. And then do you want to add fries to that and pay 10 extra dollars? And it was like, no, uh, especially <laughs> for departments. And so, um, you know, TRPEF was really not struggling with money, but, you know, if you only bring in, a lot of people were confused. They thought they were already members. So, you know, there were some years where our income was probably less than $1,000 from memberships. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can't do a lot of scholarships, but not a lot of money. So um, by having that joint membership, you know, it, it's, you know, a lot of agency to, uh, members, a lot of individual members, are just joining versus having to add, you know, do the add-on. And so that's helped out the budget immensely. I mean, right. thousands of dollars a year. And so that's how, you know, some years that we probably gave out, you know, five to 10 scholarships and last year to give out 24 is, you know, it's, it's a totally different feel. And, you know, one other thing that, that we did, and this was in my early days of being involved in uh, like 2020, the, the TRPA conference was virtual. And so, you know, be like, we're sitting here um, on Zooms and, you know, so we had room host who would introduce the speaker and then at the end give the, the survey link. And so it was kind of this like, hey, let's just start talking about TRP and talking about scholarships. And so that really helped trigger, you know, a lot of, 
just people asking questions and knowing about it. And then I had this random idea and I didn't know how it was going to go. Uh, but I was like, you know, a lot of people would be like, you know, if we said like, are you a member of TRPF? They're like, what's that? And so I had this idea of, you know, what's, what the F and. Oh, you know, that's great. Love a that. A lot of people would think like, oh, you know, I, we don't need to use the, those words. And I'm like, no, what the educational foundation, like, what is it? Right. And so we made this, you know, really basic little logo, um, or not logo, but little um, like sticker that we'd given out that said, what the F? And then it had the TRPF logo. And so I think that kind of, you know, I don't know, allowed us to laugh about what it really means because it's a tongue twister and, um, you know, exactly. <laughs> so the, the, the scholarships that you're, that you're uh, referencing, um, tell us what those really are. I mean, this is not for someone to, to go get a bachelor's degree or a master's degree, or is it? I mean, tell, tell us what the, what, what, what are those scholarships? Yeah. So the, uh, the CPRP scholarships, it's the certified parks and recreational parks and recreation professional. Um, and then there's also one that's CPRE, which is a um, certified parks and rec executive. Um, that people can obtain once they're in the profession. And there's some prerequisites of years of service um, to be able to apply for that. Um, and then there's TRPF also has um, student scholarships. So we've given one or two thousand dollar scholarships to current students the past couple of years, um, which does go like, you know, towards their current you know bachelor's degree that they're um, in school for. And then we also have professional development scholarships, um, which can help. Um, and there's a limit of like, I think it's like up to $500 a year per person um, and that, and up to, I think, a certain percentage of the total cost of where they're going. And so let's say if- To get some specific training. Right, so right. that could be to go to TRPA conference, that could be to go to NRPA or one of the um, director schools or certain, you know, just extra stuff. And so a lot of times, especially in COVID, a lot of um, department budgets were cut. And so, you know, it could be, hey, my department's not gonna pay for me this year or, they're right. going to pay half of them, uh, the rest of them out of pocket. Um, and so, you know, to be able to, to offer that, um, you know, we don't have a ton of requests, um, but, you know, for some it's, it's, you know, an extra couple hundred dollars to be able to do something versus pay out of pocket or just simply not do. understand. Well, okay. So you were installed as the president uh, here back in September or October. And what, what, what do you have as goals for this year in, in your services as president? Yes. Um, so some of the goals and, and we, a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago, we, uh, we had our president's assembly at Fall Creek Falls after the leadership forum. And it was a very you know, conversational, um, small group breakout sessions and, and trying to, you know, see if, if the whole board, um, you know, was on the same page because the last thing I wanted was, you know, I told the president elect Tiffany McCollins from, from Memphis, you know, I don't want to come in here and say, all right, we're doing this. And then her come in and be like, no, we're not. And, you know, wipe out everything. So right. you know, I wanted everything to be, you know, the group together and doing it, you know, to build versus just to do it and then scrap it. Um, so a lot of it really comes down to just being intentional, um, whether that's, you know, with the events that we're having. Um, I think that we've had a lot of momentum recently. And so kind of building on that momentum and excitement. Um, and I can expand on some of this a little bit, but um you know also in the area of branding of you know we've got some flyers that we've you know that have been used for multiple years and so using you know online services like canva of just updating the way that um, you know events are promoted of just you know looking fresh looking clean 
Um, and then I've also got a group of uh, marketing folks who are kind of meeting on off on, off the side, but you know, as a kind of like an extra committee, and we're looking at um, branding things like the logo, um, potentially looking at a new website, and so. You know, I think the TRPA logo was updated a few years ago, but it was just an update from what had been in place for a couple of decades. Um, so we've looked at all 50 states and their parks and recreation. Oh my! Um, some are 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 wild. <laughs> some are very outdated. Some are are newer. Uh, so it's interesting just to look at all 50 states and and where they are with their with their logo and their messaging and. Um, you know, I think, you know, we've got, you know, as you know, the, a lot of the, well, some of the positions on the board are, are elected by the different branches and sections, and then some are appointed uh, by the president. And even a year ago when I was elected, um, um, you know, looking at the people who were also elected for like, you know, their chair elect for one year and then the, the chair the following year. But I looked at that list and I'm like, this is a great list of people. Like you almost couldn't hand pick a better list of people who were involved um that you know came into the board as well and so you know a lot of it you know and i, I mentioned this to the board in in at fall creek falls of you know we've got families we've got full-time jobs like i'm not you know asking anybody for this to be their full-time job but you know if we do just a little bit more if we you know are just a little bit more intentional with what we're doing and how we're doing it and you know include more people as part of the conversation that we can make a bigger impact uh, right. invite more people um, share stuff on, on social media that, uh, you know, I think the people, like a lot of the notes that were made from the president's assembly, um, you know, a lot of us are seeing the same things. A lot of us have similar thoughts, but different ways of going about it. And so, you know, some of us just empowering those other chairs and working with the TRPA staff, Andy and Chantel, and all just being on the same page and working together versus, you know, come in and say like, you know, we're going to stand on this principle or something like that. Right. And this is basically to improve the service that's provided to members across the state. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a, a worthy objective. I, I'm wondering uh, from a uh, ex external uh, focus, um, does TRPA have any uh, vision or, or idea about how it relates to other organizations or state government or uh, the municipal league or uh, you know any anything of that nature. Um, I don't know a whole lot about that. I know Candy um, is involved. Like she goes to the Tennessee Municipal League Conference or whatever their events called every year. Right. And so I think we have some involvement, uh, but I don't know you know necessarily to what degree or or how you know if there's other projects happening. Right. The. Um, well, that sounds that sound, all sounds terrific, and and again, congratulations on your on your um, installment as as president. Let's let, can we change focus just a little bit and talk about Knoxville? Uh, and as we mentioned, I mentioned to you before we got uh, started uh, recording, uh, it's been a number of years since I've uh, had any uh, uh, since I've dove deeply into Knoxville Parks and Recreation. I, I think the last time I focused on it was in the early 1990s. Um, I don't, you may not know, you may know this. I, I got hired by the city of Knoxville um, loss prevention uh, insurance pool people um, to do a, an inspection of playgrounds in the city of Knoxville um, and give them a report about the safety uh, issues. Um, and I, this was, um, and I, so I, 
got around to all the little city parks in Knoxville, and there's all kinds of nooks and crannies in the city of Knoxville with, with little pocket parks and such as that, and parks that are adjacent to schools. And, and what I saw was not a pretty picture. Um, and um, I hope that, it, that what, I, what I presented to them uh, was instrumental in, in getting some improvements made. I hope it, uh, that, that was the idea. Um, but, but I sure hope that, that and, I, and I have heard good things about what's going on in, in Knoxville and Knox County as far as Parks and Rec is concerned. So tell us what's going on uh, in the city of Knoxville as far as yeah. Parks is concerned. Uh, to touch on, I did, I did not know that you had done a playground review. Um, we also did one probably a couple years ago. And, um, I think we have, just in the city parks alone, we have over 65 play structures. Right. Uh, we, we've, over the past couple of years, um, you know, we, we made a plan of, you know, if we had, you know, this, you know, if we could do X amount per year, you know, it would take us this many years to replace all of them. And, and so we, we've made a lot of headway in that, not as much as, as you know, and a big factor of that was COVID and then price changes of, you know, what used to be, you know, 50,000 is now way more than that. So, okay. Wow. Um, but, um, so yeah, we're, we're actively addressing that. And I think just this fall, or actually since summer, we've probably installed five new playgrounds, um, across the city. Um, and so just a, a quick overview, uh, Knoxville, we have about 95 parks, um, Definitely, but we, we don't think we have 100 yet, but somewhere in the mid 90s, um, over 125 miles of greenways and trails. We have 10 community centers where we have after school programs, which are free, and then a low cost summer program. Um, two senior centers, an art center, five pools, three golf courses, somewhere around 45 tennis courts, um, obviously pickleball courts these days. Um, and so I just want to give that overview of, of you know our park system. There's also Knox County. Uh, right. And then also the town of Farragut that are here, which is really confusing to a lot of the people in the public to, uh, you know, call somebody and start complaining about a park and then to be told like, no, you that's actually a county park or that's a Farragut park. And so, um, but yeah, so the last couple of years, and like I've been in Knoxville for just over 11 years. So, um, you know, before that, I only know what's been told to me, but, uh, you know, we've had a, a, a great amount of support, you know, from, the, you know, the mayor and the city council and others the entire time I've been involved um, here in Knoxville, which I think is, is uh, compared to some other places, maybe not fair <laughs> that, you know, haven't had both sides of it. But, um, you know, our current mayor who was just reelected, um, so she has just over four more years left. Um, people would say, you know, hey, you know, the new mayor, what's, you know, how she, you know, does she support Parks and Rec? I was like, well, if you look at her Instagram page, she's at a park almost every weekend. So, um, you know, she not only supports us, she's out there at the parks, you know, at events, but also just running, walking her dog, swimming and things like that. So uh, having that support is, is you know, probably the most important thing of, of everything. Uh, but we've had, you know, probably our biggest project um, that's, that's, you know, tourism, but also locals is, you know, we call it the urban wilderness and it's, uh, tell us about that. What is, t tell us what that is. Um, so the Urban Wilderness, it was um, championed by one of our, our good partners called the Legacy Parks Foundation, which is a nonprofit um, that you know was created to to help boost parks in the area, city, county, and 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 beyond. And you know it started out as you know this it was called the South Loop, and so it was um, some parkland, some uh, private easements to make a, a loop in the wilderness in South Knoxville. So. 
uh, a lot of people, you know, if you said, where's the urban wilderness, there might be a hundred different answers of like, oh, I, you know, I go to this park or I go to this trail. Um, and so since then, like over the past couple of years, you know, there's a logo now. We have a really nice website that's um, that we partner with Visit Knoxville, our tourism um, agency with, uh, because we're seeing people who come here from everywhere, many like all over the country, all over the world uh, to, to ride these trails. And so we've got um, some unbelievable downhill trails, which are double black diamond. So, you know, in the ski world, like, you know, like I wouldn't go on those. Um, and then we've got other ones that are, you know, beginner trails that are, are also, you know, you know, couple as, as hiking trails that you and I could go walk on. Uh, we've got uh, just a couple years ago, we added a bike, uh, it's called Baker Creek bike park. Um, and so it has, um, pump tracks, it has a skills area. It has a like start, like a, not a starting gate, but a starting point where you start high and then hit a, you know, like winds back and forth where you can, you know, go aerial if you want to, you can go to the side to, to miss that. And there are people who you know come from everywhere for these. Um, and so another great partner is the Appalachian Mountain Bike Club and they build trails. So we partner with them and, and you know, they get, they may go out and, you know, close the trail so they can improve the drainage on it or build a new trail. So here um, recently, um, they've been adding more all all weather trails because you know if it's wet nobody you know people are the bike the bike group is really great because you know they build the trails but then they also maintain them and then if they're in bad shape it's like you know don't go ride you're going to mess it up for the rest of us for the next three weeks so you know they're encouraging each other to preserve what they what they have perfect um, yeah. a lot of times nowadays people just you know we want this we want that and they expect you know what they want versus, you know, let's partner together and then put in the sweat equity of building it and maintaining it, preserving it and building more. Uh, right. And so, you know, from that, like, you know, the bike trails get a lot of the the notoriety, but there's, um, we're getting ready to put in a new play structure uh, at that park. The, um, um, you know, one big piece of the urban wilderness that, that kind of sparked it a couple of years ago, probably six, seven years ago, was the mayor of Knoxville at the time, um, the James White Parkway kind of just dead ends. And so uh, the state had the idea or, you know, had the plans of, you know, this kind of gateway to the Smokies and to, to bypass um, Chapman Highway. And so our mayor at the time basically said, you know, over my dead body and was like, you know, this is, you know, these are, you know, tons of acres of trees and, you know, all the the environmental changes that would happen because of putting a highway here. Like we've got parks, we've got trails and amenities um, and we want to do more. And so um, a couple of years ago, we were, uh, the mayor did her state of the city budget address at the end of the James White Parkway under the bridge. Um, and so we had requested, we, you know, we thought it was going to be a request of $5 million for one year and $5 million the next year to help build out the urban wilderness um, different phases. And so, you know, we were sitting there and it's kind of like Christmas morning when the mayor's going through her priorities and what she's going to fund. And, you know, we we're like in our head, like, all right, we're going to be funded. And so uh, she says $10 million for the urban wilderness. And we all just look at each other at our table and we're like, we didn't request $10 million. Um, and so, you know, later on it was, you know, the mayor actually talked to her about this a couple of weeks ago. She was like, you know, if we're gonna do it, let's just do it. Let's do it all together and like, you know, make the impact versus, you know, so many things get phased and, and then, you know, something happens and it gets pushed back. Uh, and so that was a really, really cool moment of like, yeah, this thing is gonna happen and it's gonna happen the right way. Um, so like, you know, the urban wilderness of, you know, we've seen like 
you know, if we just look at property values in South Knoxville have skyrocketed and not because of COVID, even before COVID, they were skyrocketing because people want to live close to, you know, parks and trails and greenway. Right. And when we're talking about South Knoxville, we're talking about the, the, the I'm looking at the map. We're talking about the area between Knoxville and, and say, um, Maryville. Um, probably, a, yeah, a little bit. Um, okay. Kind of more so that, um, like, if you cross it over the river from downtown. Okay. Uh, you know, the South Knoxville is kind of interesting on the, the city versus county line. Out towards Seymour and those communities. Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. Towards Seymour, but a lot of the, um, you know, another piece of the urban wilderness that is, is just kind of a, you know, happenstance type thing is that the state has, the TWRA has forks of the wilderness, what's it called, um, forks of the river wildlife management area. So that's a couple hundred acres. And so one really interesting thing about it is um, that they have active hunting seasons and they have a paved greenway going through it. Oh my. <laughs> you know, like you could be riding your bike or running on the greenway and hear gunshots and think, you know, what's going on and then you know a guy's wearing a yellow vest and has a hunting license and you know shooting something totally legal oh my but, uh, if you're not aware of that it might scare you to death. Um, you so know you know I, I have to give you some feedback what you know what I'm hearing is just terrific uh, I don't think there was a a greenway anywhere in Knoxville in, in 1990 uh, so the, the, these things are improvements that have been made and I wonder to what extent are you using uh, state funding for for these these sorts of developments? Um, so for the urban wilderness, I don't know that we've used any state funding. Mm -hmm. uh, we have so we're in the process. We're hoping to get funding for uh, an updated master plan. Mm -hmm. uh, our last master plan was in about 2009. So a lot of the state funding, you have to have a master plan within the past 10 years. Got you. And so our, you know, our administration is aware, you know, to be eligible for the, the potential funds, you know, we have to do that. And so we're really looking forward to that process right. uh, whenever, whenever we get the opportunity to, to do a master plan and also to be able to engage the community of, you know, what does the community want? Because we say a lot of the time, especially with somebody who, you know, lives in a neighborhood, like it's your park, like, you know, we kind of manage it, but you're the one who uses it. So, uh, right. you know, we put something there that nobody wants. You know, they'll sit there. Um, you know, Knoxville's unique in some ways, and 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 uh, what I what what I have in my mind, you may just say, Mark, that's dumb, and and that's not what's out there. My recollection is that you'll have recreation commissions around the different neighborhoods in Knoxville. Uh, I mean, that's kind of a remnant or a or a legacy of. Uh, of people like Maynard Glenn and those that, that have gone, came before. Do you still have that kind of system structure of your, of your, how your agency interacts with neighbor, the neighborhoods? Somewhat. So the, the recreation commissions that you mentioned, uh, when I was our athletics coordinator, I dealt with it on a daily basis. Oh, I bet you, oh, that's exactly right. I'm sure. I, yeah. Right. Out, you know, more on, not as much, but still uh, very close with them that we have, probably 15 or so different, um, mostly nonprofit groups who are recreation commissions. And so, you know, we are, are involved in youth baseball and youth basketball and, and, and somewhat with youth football. And it's interesting because the, the youth commission, so some of them are, you know, pretty closely tied to, you know, a school zone. Some are just kind of 
you know, South Knoxville youth sports, for example, is just okay. kind of you know, anything south of the river. But they have their own board of directors. They have their own bylaws. Um, we kind of have a, you know, rules of the sport and how we're going to. We we do now have um, written agreements with each of the groups that says, you know, hey, you know, you all do this, we do that. Because when I started in 2012, um, you know, people, you know, who were like Larry Cox was around with the the Baby Falcons group, definitely at the time when you were here. Um, right. And he was, you know, the founder and then just recently passed away. But, you know, I had learned a lot from, you know, asking questions and writing stuff down. And, you know, it was very much a, um, you know, what could be passed along, you know, word of mouth. And so um, that was a, a big undertaking. But, you know, if somebody new came in, how would they, you know, know, like, I thought the city did this. Be like, we've never done that. That person, you know, the previous person didn't tell you. Right. Um, but, like, in youth basketball, I think we, I would have I would I think in our youth basketball league, all the groups together, we have a combined 250 to 300 teams, depending on the year. That's amazing. We have all of our community center gyms. We partner with um, the school system. So if they've got janitors on duty at night, they've probably got basketball in the gym too. Um, so the wintertime can be, it's very hectic with basketball. But, you know, when you look at it, you said we've got, you know, 3,000 plus kids playing, you know, that's a pretty amazing impact. So it's, it's worth it. It's just a lot goes into it. And then, you know, a lot of times we contact that commission to contact right. the coach. And so it's, um, you know, that system has been in place for many decades. Uh, well, this is a way of, of getting things done um, and, and extending the, the, um, the hands that you have. I mean, the, the, uh, the local government itself only has so many people that it can, that it can actually staff. Uh, right. And, and, and example, it, our, our athletics division is um, we have four full time staff people and one right. person is, you know, like basically just does the um, athletic field. So field maintenance. Right. So three people managing, you know, all these different groups, right. which then, you know, oversee, you know, thousands of kids playing basketball. No way it could be done without the without the uh, volunteers out there. Oh my gosh, no right. Way. Does the city directly fund these organizations or, or just work with them? We work with them. We uh, it, it, there's a lot of interesting ways, like you know. So, so we pay the utilities at the park. Um, we um, all the umpires, referees are um, city employees, so they fill out a, one of our time cards. And so I got it, you. It's a huge partnership. So right. like, we don't pay for the um, like their jerseys, um, you know, catchers mitts and things like that. Right, uh, right. But there's yeah. So so a lot of the I guess we kind of allow them to focus on the, the, you know, the sports aspect and the team aspect. And then we, we help out you know, with utilities and personnel in most cases. And right. Right. That, so in, in preparing for the, this conversation, I, I noted uh, what's going on in tennis and, and pickleball in, uh, in Knoxville. It, it, it's, it's really, I guess it's just a reflection of what's going on overall in our society with, with interests in sports. And that, you know, as you know, they come and go in different, uh, you know, over the years, one thing will be popular and another year, another thing will be popular, but pickleball has been outrageous in, in its popularity. Yeah. And I, um, you know, back, I think it was 2013 or 14, we had um, somebody come to us and, and talk about pickleball. And so, we physically put down pickleball lines at one of our community centers, hands and knees, you know, putting tape down, um, just like in, you know, quick start or 10 and under tennis, 
Um, and so I was like, oh, I've done this plenty of times before, you know, like, let's, this is the type of tape we want. And so right. we start, with, you know, hands and knees on the ground doing it. And then, uh, then we put down permanent lines at that court and then, you know, jet fast forward roughly 10 years, we have pickleball lines on, I think every one of our community center basketball courts, we have, um, we can, we've, uh, we've got 10 permanent outdoor courts. We'll have six more, uh, added soon. Um, and. You know, a lot, there's been a lot of talk of, you know, pickleball courts taking tennis courts and, um, you know, being a tennis player, and, you know, my role with USTA Kentucky when I, when I left the staff, uh, I now I've volunteered with the Tennessee office and the Southern section um, since I moved to Tennessee. Um, and so I chair the junior team tennis committee for Tennessee and the Southern section. And so, you know, I, I kind of see it from both sides and, uh, you know, so I'm like, you know, the two tennis courts that we converted were, I mean, people on the other side of the same park, there's 11 tennis courts. So most people didn't even know these courts existed. Um, and they were like, the cracks were terrible. Um, like right. they were unplayable as tennis courts. So I'm like, uh, so now we've added lines to tennis courts and, you know, it's a nationwide issue of, of you know, pushing and pulling. And, and I'm of the mindset of, I think both can be extremely successful and, I think the pickleball community needs to do a little more on the like creating their own nonprofit groups and like you know in Knoxville we have the Greater Knoxville Tennis Association that there need I've had this conversation many times but there needs to be a local pickleball association to advocate for the pickleballers and not you know like I want this another person wants something different and they're like you're not doing this and be like you all don't you're not one you're not even you know a unified voice like you're just a bunch of people who want tons of different stuff um so i, I passed that along that a lot of people just want to play they don't necessarily want to work uh for the behind the scenes stuff but we right. had to, you know our um uh, a lot so back in probably 2016 17 we started at our community centers we started charging uh two to one first it was one dollar now it's two dollars per person to, for like to come in for like a three-hour session to play and you would have thought we were charging a hundred dollars to play like people lost their minds and they just didn't get it and uh that we put all you know how many hours a week at our community centers that pickleball is available to play and uh you know how much money we had put into it and um we actually well and you could choose it you could choose to have those those times dedicated to volleyball or basketball right. or yeah, in ping right. pong or whatever and so it's yeah. a choice. It's the choice the department's making to, to 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 allocate that time. Right. So we showed that, and and the, it was funny. The thing that um, the thing that stood out that worked in the we kind of had a you know a town hall meeting one during the day and one at night. The you know all pickleballers come and chat and uh, had this whole presentation set out of what we've done. And and the thing that resonated with people was we don't have a pickleball budget. Like nobody ever said, oh, start pickleball. Here's here's twenty thousand dollars. Like you all want new balls? We order new balls. You all you know, like you know the portable nets that we have in the community center. They start to sag, and you want a new net. That net's not cheap. So um, that part of there you go. We don't have a budget, and like this is actually going towards it. And some of our biggest um, naysayers not only didn't live in the city of Knoxville, they didn't live in Knox County. They were coming in. <laughs> I'm like, they're like, well, I come up here from this county. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know, this is a different story now. Uh, right. But, uh, you know, and so I, 
I, I, I kind of took that beating um, and it was, it, you know, it was like, you know, it's justified. <laughs> like, uh, and it's, you know, at the time, $1, now $2, but I think it really opened the door to, to private companies offering pickleball. And so now we've got um, two places that are open and like doing really well that are, you know, like you have your membership where it's, you know, X amount of dollars per month. And, you know, it's just like a tennis club. Right. You pay your, your membership and then you pay your court fee on top of it. You have block times and lessons and, and all this. And um, when one of the clubs opened up at first, it was a tennis club that kind of also offered pickleball. The person said, they're like, oh, in, in addition to the $2 per day, we said, you know, if you pay like $50, you can be a member and you get a card that you get to play for free. Like, you know, kind of like a frequent pass. Right. So this person said to me, they were like, um, hey, yeah, I'm a, a joint out there. And I was like, oh, okay, how much is it? And they're like, it's only $30 a month. And I got, I only have to pay like $10 every time I play. <laughs> I said, I'm not, I said, I don't want to get into the math of it, but I think I, we've got a better deal. <laughs> like, right, right. You know, like, and so it, just, it blew my mind that they, you know, were like, yeah, I'm, I'm paying 30 a month and I can go play. <laughs> it was like, that $2 that you complained about a few weeks ago, like that doesn't seem like a big deal anymore. Let me, let me change the subject just a little bit. I, I know um, in the Knoxville area the is the Imes Nature Center, which uh, I've visited a, a couple times, and it's really a cool, a cool place to go for a trail hike and learn about nature and that sort of thing. Does the city of Knoxville have anything else in the works that going along those lines? Um, so there, like Iams is, is it's, it's interesting. It's it's partially on city property. It's mm-hmm. partially on county property, and it's partial on their own property that they've acquired over the years. Um, so we partner with them in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, gave them, um, I think it was five hundred thousand dollars towards their master plan and their like you know capital um, improvements. Um, but we help. You know, like we're they're one of the main partners in the urban yeah. wilderness. They're they're a cornerstone of the urban wilderness, and so. You know, I, I mean, you know, they've got a, a huge staff of their own. Right. You know, huge compared to some th- to small organizations, but to where they would want to be, not as large. But um, so to that level, not really. Um, well, but you're, but but that's how you're getting that that thing done is by was by cooperating with with those people. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 They've been like we we call it the Urban Wilderness Alliance, but there's um, city and county parks and Legacy Parks Foundation. Um, Appalachian Mountain Bike Club, Iams Nature Center, Aslan Foundation, which is another partner um, that, um, you know, they've helped out with some parks. They also have done some uh, art projects uh, outside of park areas. But, um, you know, so one thing our department's done that's it's kind of connected with the urban wilderness and with some programs at Iams is, um, you know, especially during COVID when, you know, having programs at a community center wasn't um, a great thing to do that we have a group of staff that we kind of call our outdoor rec team um, who like they've run um, community kayak events, community hikes, um, also disc golf. They've, they've had like a, a pickleball ladder. And so this, you know, this kind of building on the momentum of the outdoor recreation world here in Knoxville is, you know, our staff wants to be part of that too. Um, and so um, this year, like we're part of the Tennessee River Line, which is you know they're uh, managed through UT, um, but it's you know kind of the, the next great water waterway or water system. It's 652 miles from Knoxville to Paducah, Kentucky, um, and so uh, 
we had a community panel and so we uh, had an idea to do a costume cruise so most of the people on the we had about 30 people out on the water um, in halloween costumes oh that's fun that's fun yeah it was great and then um you know so like taking people out on hikes because you know a lot of times you know people just don't know you know to me you know this trailhead or this park you know where the, the trail starts is is easy but to to somebody who's not familiar with it you know they go and they can't find it and they don't go again and so to have these free guided hikes or um you know low cost kayak um trips you know on the river that we can you know if tva is pumping water at a good speed you don't have to paddle a lot unless you have to go up the river um but you know to take advantage of that but that's really been you know we've had a lot of people from the public really enjoy that um our director um cheryl ely she um uh, developed a program this summer and, and got a lot of our staff involved, uh, but it was called Swim to Paddle. And it was the idea of, you know, bringing uh, new people, diverse people, you know, diverse backgrounds to the, the river and to the water. Um, and so uh, the idea of Swim to Paddle was, you know, if you don't know how to swim, you're probably not going to get in the river and paddle. I love uh, that. I love so, that. So she, um, she did a survey, um, of um, a lot of African-American and Hispanic um, respondents. And, you know, it was, you know, do you know how to swim? Or, you know, what's your comfort level swimming? And so we did a pilot this summer. Um, so we started at Inskip Pool, um, which is a 50 year old, you know, old school, uh, huge pool, but looks you know, a little nostalgic. Um, and so started there with a couple of weeks of swimming lessons. So getting people, um, most of them are middle-aged, um, most of them are female um, into the water. And, you know, some hadn't swam in years, some never learned how to swim. And one really cool thing about it was um, um, when we were, you know, kind of putting the feelers out of getting, you know, just this test group, not test group, but, you know, initial group to come and participate. You know, if I don't know how to do something, I'm not going to put on Facebook like, hey, I don't know how to fly a plane, but I really want to learn how, like, you know, especially something like swimming or biking, like, you know, I would feel self-aware of like, I'm not going to put out there that I don't know how to ride a bike. Right. And so this lady put out there like, Hey, I'm doing this program. I can't wait. Some of y'all need to go with me and like making it like, Hey, let's do this. And you know, like that's the excitement level of that was really, really great because you know, it wasn't like, Hey, you know, behind the scenes, I'm going to go learn how to swim. Um, and so, you know, people getting in the water and, you know, so they first started um, the learn to swim. And then we had um, the kayaks that were in the pool. But then we had staff help people get into the kayaks, teach them skills, you know, in a clear water setting, you know, where, you, you know, if you fall out, there's lifeguards and, right. and all that. And then it ended with going to the river and actually paddling in the river. Um, and so, you know, to go from, from that couple week of, you know, either can't swim or don't feel comfortable swimming to I'm out here with a life jacket on in the Tennessee River, you know, it, it was really cool to see it and um, the, the people who did it have come back for, for other paddle and other, like that community cruise we had one of the people doing um she was like she was in the front of the pack leading the way i love that you know yeah, there's been a lot of of um, well i shouldn't say there's been a lot but there's been some uh national media focus on the learning to swim um uh, one one um writer for new york times did, uh, editor for the new york times did a did an article about um, about the the African American population and and how often they they have not gotten that skill as a child, 
um, it's it's critical skill. Um, and you know, if you, not being able to swim puts you outside looking in for so many recreation activities. So that's that's a great story, Aaron. Um, and and give your director some some good marks for that. Yeah, is, is that is that something that's going to continue? I, yeah, for sure. And it was you know our we had you know our aquatic staff. We had some of our uh, outdoor rec team of recreation specialists who were part of it. That right. Even like uh, American Red Cross was actually in town one day. We have a grant with them um, through their Centennial campaign where it's, you know, the basic goal of it is uh, they, they find areas where drownings are, are, you know, above a certain level or increasing. And so um, their funding is to help, you know, uh, attract new lifeguards. So try to, um, you know, the lifeguard, try to um, impact the lifeguard shortage and then right. also increase the number of um, of people learning how to swim and so some other stuff related to that is and this uh, kids in our after school program um you know certain seasons we'll transport them to the indoor pool for swim lessons um and we've always had very low cost swim lessons in right. our outdoor pools during right. the summer so, let me share this let me share this story with you and before we were recording uh, i told you about my my recollection of knowing um cotton jackson uh, who was uh, a director, uh, I guess he was direct, deputy director of the, your agency back in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, but Cotton, before he w worked for the city, w was the head of the aquatics division of the Red Cross uh, in the Smoky Mountains region. Uh, and that's how I got to, got to know him, because uh, I, was, I was director in Sevierville and Gatlinburg. And when I first got there, I was the only water safety instructor in Sevier County. Oh, wow. I mean, one. Uh, and, and so uh, I called up Red Cross and let them know that I was there. And um, we're, we're really glad to see. You. And, and so together with Cotton, we trained a whole bunch of, of uh, lifeguards and water safety instructors. Um, uh, and, and so um, but then, of course, he, he began to work for the city of Knoxville. And so we were we we were friends uh, from then on. It was a great, great, terrific guy. That's awesome. So you're the, the um, you started the trend in Sevier County with all the, the water parks and. Well, I, I don't know about starting the the trend. At the time, there was no indoor pool in Sevier County other than the one, I mean, in the entire county other than the one at the at the Holiday Inn on Airport Road in Gatlinburg. And so what we decided to do was to, to was to take kids from the Pi Phi Elementary School in their phys ed class. We take them two or three blocks up up the road and and uh, teach them to swim during their their phys ed class. The people at the at the Holiday Inn were thrilled to have somebody using the facilities in the middle of the winter when there no one else was there. Um, but that's you know, that's how the aquatics program got started in Gatlinburg and Sevierville. Wow, now yeah, you yeah. It's, it's, and it's like there's so many water options that you know. I mean, it's just part of the tourist attraction. Well, in in both, I guess uh, Sevierville and Gatlinburg, and I think Pigeon Forge all have indoor pools now. So, um, and 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 they've had some luck with with um, with competitive swimming teams up there. So, um, well, listen, Aaron, it's we're, we're gone over an hour now. So, I it's it's we got we've got to close it down. It's been a, a delight to talk with you. Uh, lots of fun, and I and I wish you the best in your year uh, as as the uh, TRPA president. 
um, it's, it's a, it, your organization started in the, in the 1950s. There's a, a, a list of the people that have been presidents and it should, you should consider it an honor to be on that list. For sure. Yeah, there's some terrific Amazing. people. Amazing list of people on there. All I think right. TRPA's 75th year is in 25, 26. That, that should be about right. Um, um, so, um, again, thank you so much for being willing to, to, uh, to talk with me. Um, and um, I hope, hope to see you next year at the conference. Wonderful. That's All right. Lovely. Thank you. November. Thanks. Thank you.